Uh, my name is Adam Venable, and I am your one of your missionaries over to the campus of UAB, where I'm a part of the spread of the gospel there at UAB. And it's my great honor to get to open up the scriptures with you this morning. Love it or hate it. I know the Enneagram has been talked about a lot for at least a year or two. It already feels kind of old to me, the Enneagram. Uh, like very 2018. But uh, I'm a six on the Enneagram. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, the rest of us are secretly jealous of you. But I'm a six. One of the big things for sixes is trust. Can I trust you? I mean, can I? I know you say I can trust you, but can I really trust you? It's a big for a six. And uh, of course, trust very important in relationships, your work, your marriage. Boyfriend, girlfriend, trust, very important. And the people who first read the book of Matthew that we're looking at this morning, trust was a big factor for them too. And they wanted to know, could they trust this person that they're hearing about, Jesus? Can they trust that Jesus is who he says that he is? And That's so important for understanding Matthew because the first readers of Matthew were very Jewish. Matthew was written to a very Jewish audience. And they knew the Bible, but they weren't weren't sure that they could trust that Jesus was the real Messiah. And that's what uh, this genealogy is all about, or this lineage that we're going to look at. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 1. This is verse... 1 through 17, and God's word says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, and Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. 
from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be centered on you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're looking at this lineage this morning, and I want to look at three things, why it's the lineage that we need. And first, it's that it's the fullness that we need. Second, it's the identity that we need. And third, it's the grace that we need. So fullness, identity, and grace. So first, let's look at fullness. Uh, You have to be careful what you watch on YouTube, especially uh, stand-up comedians. But I was uh, watching a stand-up comedian recently. I'm not going to give you his name because I don't want to go have you watch everything that um, he's done on YouTube. Because I don't. But he has this bit about pictures and the way that we uh, do pictures nowadays versus how they did it in the olden times. And he says, you know, I've got one picture of my great-grandfather. Just one picture of him. And he's just kind of standing there like this, like he's got two buckets of... Uh, feed for the hogs and he, er, he says everyone looks mad my grandfather looks m- angry in this photo, looks kind of mean and he has this look on his face like I gotta get back to feed them hogs it's the one picture that he has as his grandfather no other pictures and he says but in the future you know, um, there'll be people who say Hey, do you want to see 100,000 pictures of my grandfather uh, doing everything he did every day of his life, right? And uh, we, we can chuckle about that because of social media. But it points to something, I think, it's a basic human longing in our hearts, which is this. We long to preserve the past. We want to preserve the things that have happened to us and that have gone before us. That would have been very important to the people who first read the Gospel of Matthew. They wanted to preserve their history, the history of Israel. Remember, these are Jews reading Matthew. And so these names, Zerubbabel and um, Salmon and Boaz, I know that sounds kind of boring to some of you. It would not have been boring to a Jew. It would have been more like you scrolling through your old uh, Facebook, photo, uh, Facebook photos, where every single one of them brought back a lot of memories. Same thing for a Jew who would have read these names. So let's just get into some of the names that we see in the lineage. And we talk about uh, why is this the fullness that we need. And the first is David. David, who's the one king in this lineage. They're all kings. But David is actually called a king. Because this lineage is all about how Jesus is the son of David. God had elected Israel and created this special relationship with Israel. And what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the hopes that Israel had for David and this son of David that was going to come one day. And how do you see fullness in David's life? Well, what's the most famous psalm that David wrote? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. My cup runs over. David singing this song to God about the fullness of God 
in David's life. This fullness that God had promised to all of Israel. And Matthew is saying that Jesus is the son of David who experienced this in his life. But you also see fullness just in the way that the lineage is organized. These are not just random names, one after the other in in, uh, a random order. What's the organization that Matthew gives us for the lineage itself? Right? There's three sections to it. And he makes it a point to say, uh, in verse 17, these are the generations from Abraham to David. There's 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to to the deportation to Babylon, and then uh, 14 more from the the deportation to Jesus Christ. What was the number in the Old Testament that represented fullness and completeness and wholeness? That number was what? The number seven. What would the number 14 communicate to a Jew? Double fullness, double wholeness, double completion. And Matthew is saying is that that is what we find in Jesus, the son of David. Uh, a, a lot of commentators that I read, the only way I would know this is by reading a commentator, is that if you look at the Hebrew, David's name, there's no consonants in Hebrew, just the D and the V, those are the two letters. But you take those two letters together, uh, D, V, and then D at the end, and it equals seven, the number of completion. Or Sorry, not seven, 14. Double the number of completion. Again, I know this is getting a little nerdy, but this is what all the commentaries say. God, through Matthew, is trying to communicate to us that the fullness of God's blessing has come to Israel and to the world in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is not just singing this song to God, like the way King David did. But Jesus is God singing his song to us. Jesus Christ himself is the cup that runs over. He's the green pastures. He's the still waters. He's the temple in which God's presence dwells. Jesus is the fullness of God. And um, a book that I read recently says it like this. When the forward on a soccer team scores the winning goal, that goal and the victory are credited to the entire team, even to the players who are just sitting on the bench doing nothing, even to the fans uh, sitting in the crowd or the fans watching at home on their television screens. Uh, They're participating in someone else's triumph. And that is fullness. Jesus, the son of David, has come and triumphed, and we get to participate in his victory. And quickly, so how does that apply to us? And just a couple of things, I think. Can I say something about parenting? Parenting's hard. And I think sometimes it's tempting as parents to think that, you know what we most need as parents? If we could just figure this out. We need a great Christian book on parenting. If I could just read that great book or or a blog, maybe. Oh, maybe there's a blog out there or or a podcast. That's what my, that's what, if I could just get this information, that's what's going to really fix me as a parent. You know what Matthew would say? I'm pro Christian books. I'm not, I have more than a couple on my shelf, Christian books. But what our kids need is the fullness of the son of David. That is what they need. 
And that's what you need as a parent, is to be drawn more and more into Jesus, you are my fullness. And as, as, as our kids see us do that, they're going to catch the fullness. Again, I'm not just anti-Christian uh, book, but, but it's not fullness. It's not fullness. If you're a single person um, and you're here today, is what you most need is to find that special someone, him or her. Is that what you most need? And what Matthew would say is, that could be great. That could be good. Something to celebrate. But it's not the fullness. It is not the fullness of the Son of David. All right, so he's also the identity that we need. The identity that we need. And there's different approaches to identity. I know there's been a lot written about identity. But one approach to identity, we'll call it the secular approach, uh, tends to be more like this. Well, if you want to know who you are, who should, who should you be, look within yourself and listen to your heart and listen to your feelings and let those be your guide. Or find some kind of tribe or community and lose yourself in that tribe or in that community and let them be your guide. What's the problem with that? It's crushing, right? We're desperately trying to create our own identity and do it ourselves, and we think we've got the power to do it. And we're all depressed and overcome with anxiety, trying to create our own identity. What's the religious approach? And I think it's, it's not so much that you have an identity, but it's that there's a standard and a goal. Look, if you can be a good boy or a good girl, then you can finally be who you're supposed to be. You're not there yet. Don't think you're there yet. But just work, work, work. Try, try, try. Maybe you can finally be a, a good boy or a good girl. But that doesn't work either. Because it's completely exclusive and it turns you into this self-righteous, arrogant monster that looks down on everybody else who isn't as holy as you are. Only the gospel gives us an identity that's not crushing because I don't have to create it for myself. Jesus, the son of Abraham, wants to give me a new identity, totally free. I just receive it. I don't have to create it. But it doesn't exclude others. Because our identity is that I was an outsider and Jesus rescued me and brought me in. And now I want to point you to the God who rescues outsiders. I'm not here to exclude you. I want to point you to Jesus that wants to bring you who are outside back in. And you see that here in the genealogy because Jesus is not just a son of David, but he's also a son of who? Abraham. Why is Abraham important? Because God had chosen Abraham and promised to Abraham that through your seed, Abraham, I'm going to be a blessing to all of Israel. No. Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless all the special holy priests within Israel. Nope, that's not what he says either. He promises Abraham, through your son, Abraham, I will one day bless the entire world. Every family of the earth. That's who your identity will be. But I am that kind of God, and you will be that kind of people. And you see it with the four women mentioned in the genealogy. Who are the four women who are mentioned here, in addition to Mary? The first is Tamar. Who is Tamar? Tamar uh, once posed as a pagan prostitute. She was a Canaanite. Uh, Rahab, uh, another woman married here. Who was Rahab? Rahab was also a Canaanite. Uh, She was also a prostitute. Um, who saved the Hebrew spies as they came into Jericho. 
The next woman is Ruth. Who was Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite foreigner, not a citizen of Israel, who lost everything, but who was redeemed by Boaz. And then finally, Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? She was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, which made Bathsheba a Hittite, a natural foreigner to Israel. What's the point here? All these people, outsiders who were brought in by God to be near to him and near to Jesus, the son of Abraham. God loves to take outsiders and to bring them near to him. And that is who we are, those of you who believe in Jesus. We were those who were outsiders and he has brought us in. And now we get to champion and bear witness to this God that loves to bring outsiders in. And that's what this genealogy is all about. Outsiders who've been brought in. And I'll just say two things um, about this. How might this apply to us? Think about liturgy for a minute and, and worship. Why do we worship at Red Mountain Church? Like, what's the point of us getting together? It is not just to have our, all of our felt needs met, to do the liturgy just like we want to do it and say all, sing all of our favorite songs. I love our music at Red Mountain Church. Uh, but the point of why we get together is not to do all our favorite things. And there's, there was no liturgy that was beamed down from heaven. It, it doesn't work that way. Rather, we take word and sacrament and prayer and we pray How can we best serve the community that we're in? How can we best proclaim the gospel to Birmingham and the world? And that's what we do on Sunday morning. And from time to time, I think it's good just to ask ourselves, is the way that we do worship and and is the reason that we're getting together just so we can have our felt needs met? Or is it to be a blessing to Birmingham? Is it to reach out to Birmingham and to champion the good news with our worship? And... The other thing I'll say is about um, community groups and just small groups. And I know there's different focuses uh, with community groups at Red Mountain Church. But I would just say, if you've been a part of a community group for months, if you've been a part of a community group for years, and your community group, and I don't mean the one you lead, but it's the one you go to, if you have never stopped to pray for the outsiders in Birmingham to be brought near to Jesus... What Matthew would say is, is, well, that's just not who you are. That's not your identity. You're someone that was an outsider that was brought near, who's now been called the champion, the God that brings outsiders near. That's why we should be praying for the spread of the gospel in our city. That's who we are. We are outsiders who've been brought in. And now we get to champion that God to Birmingham. This lineage is the... It's the fullness that we need. It's the identity that we need. But finally, it's the grace that we need. You've heard the distinction between felt needs and real needs. My favorite illustration about this is pica. Maybe I've used this illustration before. And it's a a medical condition, pica, where you crave non-food items. You crave uh, dirt or metal. You're trying to eat these things. Your felt need, very different from your real need. And the same is so, is so true for us, especially, I think especially during the holidays. Um, 
Like our felt need can so easily be, you know, if I could just buy that perfect sweater uh, and have it here in three days, then I think I can cope with the next two weeks. Um, Or if we can get the perfect holiday picture taken, um, I think I can make it through the season. My kids will look happy. Uh, My husband and I will look happy. Our dog will look happy. I think we're going to be okay. Our felt need. What Matthew would say, our real need. What's your real need? Matthew would say, is the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of God. How do you see that in the the lineage? Well, first, there's the name of Jesus himself. Jesus, the son of David, who's also the son of Abraham. What does the name Jesus mean? It means Savior. In Jesus' name itself is the implication is that, that we are the kind of people who need a Savior. What, what, I, what I don't most need is to be married or to have more money in my bank account or go, to go on a great vacation. What I most need as a human being is grace. How else do you see it in, in the lineage? Uh, you see it in, in the kings themselves. Uh, one of the kings, his name is Rehoboam. What did Rehoboam do? Rehoboam established goddess worship. And a part of this goddess worship, Rehoboam encouraged male prostitutes to be a part of the worship of these goddesses in Israel. It's not not someplace way off. In the people of God. This is what Rehoboam did. Uh, Manasseh is another name. Who is Manasseh? Manasseh instituted the worship of stars and planets. Outside Jerusalem's walls, Manasseh sacrificed children to the foreign god named Moloch. Jewish tradition has, and scholarship backs this up, that it's very likely that Manasseh was responsible for the death of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, who had, who had longed for and foretold the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. Manasseh killed him, murdered him. And, of course, finally you see it in David. Uh, be the most famous sinner in the list. Committed adultery and murder. What's the point? Jesus is the grace that we need. Because all these sins, all these shameful things that these kings did, they were no obstacle to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. He was stronger than them all. What is grace? Grace is, a friend of mine likes to say, grace is not unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is where I help you even though you've done nothing really for me. I just want to help you. That's not what grace is. Grace in the Bible is demerited favor. Where I have done everything to warrant your anger and your rejection and your wrath. And instead... You show grace and mercy. Uh, A book that I was reading this week, uh, the guy's name is Duncan, who writes the book. And he tells a story about his life. When he was in junior high school, he played football in junior high. His name is Duncan. Um, And Duncan was very small. Uh, He's very undersized. Um, The smallest player on the field, in fact. But uh, Duncan, the author, he says that in crucial situations, they would run a play called Refrigerator Right, named after that famous Chicago Bear defensive end from the 80s. 
random sports reference. So they would run this play called Refrigerator Right. And what happened was the coach would put in the biggest kid on the team. The biggest kid on the team, his name was Andrew. And Andrew, because he was the biggest kid on the team, he would block for Duncan. And Duncan was completely obscured by Andrew. And Andrew would absorb the blows. And the, thing, the, 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 the blows that were supposed to hit Duncan, they all just hit Andrew. And Andrew just, or Duncan just hit himself uh, as they ran right to the finish line and, and won the game. Jesus invites us to hide ourselves in him. Jesus invites us to hide our shame and our guilt in his grace and in his mercy. And how does that apply to us in uh, 2019, Christmas season, at Red Mountain Church? How does that apply to us? And I want to talk about something called, I'm going to call it holiday shame. Holiday shame. And it goes something like this. That when you show up to, to, to see your family, when you go to that uh, that meal with those relatives or those coworkers, but I think it's it's more centered around family. When you're around your parents, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, there's this sense of, well, let's see how you've been doing. Oh, that's still how your kids behave. Oh, okay. Um, or if you're single, you, you show up to see your parents or, or your extended family. Oh, still no boyfriend, huh? In the car. Um, and sometimes it's their fault, and many times it's just in our hearts, the shame and the guilt that we feel. The genealogy of Jesus is the grace that we need that reminds us that we are hidden in him. God wants this passage to be like a, a centurion posted at the door of your heart. That when that guilt and that shame shows up, God's word says, I am gracious and I'm merciful. I bring kings like Manasseh into my family. Who, if you want to go read about it, has this amazing prayer where he repents and confesses and Manasseh is forgiven of everything that he did. Jesus is the grace that we need, and it's the thing that we most need. What happens when your shame, what happens when your guilt, the feeling of condemnation, what happens when it tightens your grip on the grace of Jesus Christ? Do you know what, you know what happens when, when your shame tightens your grip on the grace of Jesus Christ? Well, you experience joy. Uh, the joy of Christ the Messiah, the one come not just for us, but for the world. And so as we pray, uh, as we close in prayer this morning, let's pray together. That would be real for us and that we'd be able to champion that uh, right here in Birmingham. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to you For grace and mercy, we need it. We confess to you that we are overwhelmed uh, with guilt and shame sometimes. 
Lord Jesus, we pray that your grace, um, that we would be hidden in it, hide us. Not that we might hide from you, God, or hide from each other, but that your grace might transform us so that we could live out our identity, which is outsiders who've been brought in. Help us to, with the way we live and the words that we say, to communicate that you're a God that brings outsiders in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.